The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Well, uh, welcome. Welcome back. Um, can I just see a show of hands for those of you who uh, were not here last Thursday? Okay, so quite a, quite a number. Um, this is the second talk in a five-week class, five-week series on concentration. This, uh, the Pali word is samadhi. And, um, but don't worry, you didn't really miss. <laughs> you can start anywhere. So. And I'll recap um, some of what we talked about last week. Um, I just wanted to ask, first of all, you know, I gave some suggestions for practice during the week. And does anyone have any questions? You know, anything that, that arose during the week or questions from the last talk? Um, so last week we we talked a little bit about um, this Pali word samadhi uh, and kind of gave an introduction to what it is um, some context for it in Buddhist practice and um, and I'll repeat what I said at the beginning of last class, that um, I hope that um, the emphasis for, for this series is is practical rather than theoretical. You know, samadhi, I mean, it's very interesting, and you can take classes in kind of, uh, you know, religious studies department or something, and, and, and the theory of samadhi and different religions and different schools of Buddhism have different understandings of what samadhi is. But it's um, it really is kind of the jewel of uh, you know of Buddhist practice in a way. So the um, you know just the fact that you know we all have the good karma to have kind of encountered this teaching, encountered this practice, and just to delight in the fact that um, there is a practice. There's there's a training. You know, samadhi is sometimes called the training of the heart. And it's, um, I take a lot of um, comfort in the fact that the mind, the heart, is something that's trainable. You know, in the same way that the body, you can do exercises, you can do stretches, you can uh, actively work to improve your health. The mind is the same way. But, but what does it mean to improve the health of the mind? Is it kind of reading more blogs and getting more, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, get, getting more information, just cramming it in? And um, you know, or is it tra- training the mind to be still, or training the mind to um, let go of all the activity, the surface activity that covers over the stillness that's always there. And that's kind of the idea, the promise of samadhi. Um, the translation that I use for samadhi for this series is gathering the mind. 
this idea of gathering, collecting, centering the mind um, in contrast to the fragmentation, the, the, the scatteredness, um, distractedness, which is, uh, we're so conditioned towards and we have so much momentum towards. So it's a challenge, this practice, because to, it's going against our conditioning in a way. And that's why um, one who follows this practice, who follows the, this teaching, it's sometimes called going against the stream. You know, the stream is the stream of our habits, our tendencies, our conditioning. And to go against the stream, you know, is, is, it's quite something. You know, it, it takes, you know, if you can just remember a time in your life when you've gone against what all the momentum was taking you towards and you've kind of, you know, changed that. It's like, you're like turning around a big, ocean liner or something, you know, it's just, it's just slow and it's, and it's, a, it takes a certain kind of effort. Um, it's sometimes said that the, the Buddha's teachings can be divided into three areas, three buckets, um, which answer the following three questions. Um, how should I live? What, what do I do? And what do I know? And, and the Buddha's answer to these, or the kind of the, the, the areas of teaching around these questions are these three um, buckets. Uh, in the Pali words are sila, samadhi, and panya. Sila is, is usually translated as ethics. Um, I like the word integrity or authenticity. Um, I've heard it translated as kindness. Um, that's you know, a little more interpretive. Um, samadhi is this kind of concentration, this gathering the mind. And then panya is wisdom or insight. So, you know, this, this place is called the insight meditation center. There's a reason it's not called the concentration meditation center. You know, and so, you know, why not? You know, if concentration is so important, so helpful, why isn't it just called the concentration center? Um, I think insight has a better ring to it. But um, the idea in this practice is that the goal is not concentration. The goal, if we, can, if we can speak in terms of a goal, in terms of meditation, in terms of Dharma practice, the goal is understanding, is wisdom, is insight. And, and samadhi, concentration, is the means to that end. So... Um, so the Buddha said, one who has cultivated samadhi sees things as they are. And so if our goal is to see things as they are, the practice, what we do, is to cultivate samadhi. Um, so traditionally, these three are understood in a way a little bit sequentially. So it's like sila, ethics, integrity is the foundation 
for samadhi. You know, and it, and it makes sense in a way. It's like if, if I'm agitated, if my mind is agitated because of something unskillful or unethical that I've done, it's more challenging to settle. It's more challenging to be still and to be calm. You know, there's remorse, there's thinking, there's all these things that happen. So the idea is to kind of, you know, um, clean up your mess. <laughs> clean up my mess. <laughs> clean up your mind in a way of the, you know, your, of the, the kind of the ethical loose ends. And, and that is a very strong foundation for meditation practice, for concentration practice. And then concentration practice is the stilling of the mind, this calming, quieting, stilling of the mind that is, is the stability that is like the table. You know, it's like you, you put the microscope on the table and that's still, and you know, it's, it's not moving around and it's not, you know, it's just still, it's unmoving. And then to look through the microscope and see what's there, that's mindfulness, that's insight, that's wisdom. Does that kind of, you know, does that, that make sense? Does anyone have any questions about that? Or, you know, so we talk a lot about mindfulness. And just to say a, a few words about how does mindfulness relate to concentration? How does mindfulness relate to samadhi? Uh, these are understood as partners. If you have too much samadhi, it's not so good. If you have mindfulness, but you don't have the concentration, you don't have the depth, the stability, uh, the centeredness, um, that in a way is also limited. So it's like the idea is that these are partners and they come up together. Mindfulness, this kind of knowing quality of the mind, you know, just a know. You know, you, you breathe in and you know you're breathing in. You breathe out and you know you're breathing out. It's simple. It's a, it takes almost no effort to, to just know. It's this factor of mind that we would just get run over by a car if we didn't, if we didn't have this. It's mindfulness. But what's difficult about mindfulness is to be mindful continuously. You know, we cut out. We're here, and then we cut out. We're here, and then we cut out. You know, it's like this stop-and-go mindfulness. It's just, it's just our conditioning. It's just our nature. You know, if you've ever... Um, you know, I, I have one friend who... And, you know, I, I love this friend. I'm not going to say his name. But he often... Um, when we're together and we're listening to a talk or something, he'll often say, it's like, what did he say? What did he just say? What did he say? Like every five minutes, I go, what did he say? And, um, I, I do it myself as well. So, you know, it, 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 it's so easy to cut out and, and lose that continuity. And, you know, and just, if you've ever contract, you know, if you, can, if you can imagine a time when you've been with someone who has a really strong, really, 
You know, I mean, it's, 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 or, it's totally ordinary, but it's just this presence that's just there, that's just, they're giving you their full attention. And it's, you know, it's a wonderful gift. It's a wonderful thing. It's, um, you know, Gil has said this many times. I, you know, I see this myself with young children. It's like giving attention is so close to giving love. You know, it's so awareness, attention, and love are like, you know, there's not much difference. And um, children, little, little children love to be seen, need to be seen, in fact. I mean, it's, and just, you know, when you just look, you know, just light up. I mean, it's this, um, and so, and so many of uh, what I've heard, I know other teachers here on longer meditation retreats, um, you know, often on a long retreat, memories, um, you know, our history and our kind of the soup that makes us, that makes up who we are psychologically starts to bubble up and starts to come up. And so many things are, relate back to childhood and not just childhood, but something about not being seen, you know, as a child or as a young person or not really being seen or being appreciated for who we are. And so these are so, you know, so the, the gift of attention, the gift of, of, of giving someone uh, your presence is, it's, you know, it's not genetic or something. This is something, this is a training. This is something we train ourselves to do. And you can see just, even if you do this practice for 15 minutes a day, every day for a month, you will notice big, big changes in your day-to-day life of just how your ability to stay with something, your ability to kind of let go of everything else and just, you know, just be here. And what a gift to give to other people, the people in your life. You know, what, what could be more important than that? So anyway, that's my uh, <laughs> pitch for samadhi. Um, So sometimes we talk about samadhi as the ground for wisdom, the ground for wis- uh, insight to arise. And in, it, if you think about it, you know, as if, as if the mind were a garden, you know, you can't pull plants up. You can't, you know, we have this kind of tomato plant in a pot. You know, you, you can't just like, you know, I want avocados, I want tomatoes now. It's like you set the conditions up. You take care of the ground, you take care of the water, the sun. The, you, and, and so that's in a way what we're doing with this practice. We set all the conditions and we let this magical process unfold. You know, it's a capacity all of us have. It's nothing, um, it is special in a way, but it's also, you know, it's not extraordinary. We have this capacity um, to train the mind, to, to quiet the mind, to still the mind. And, you know, it's, I mean, like I said last week, there are many interesting things in life to, to do, to learn, to, um, you know, so, so in a way you could think about this as like a skill, as something, you're, a gift you're giving yourself as kind of a training. Um, 
So, so what characterizes samadhi is this quality of undistractedness. Um, it's being present in a continuous way. Um, continuous contact. Um, moments of mindfulness strung together like, like pearls in a necklace. You know, as you string one after the other after the other. Moment to moment to moment to moment, we develop samadhi. So samadhi is made up of moments of mindfulness. Um, this is the reason that, especially on meditation retreats, but even often in these kind of talks, there's this emphasis on continuity. You know, keeping the continuity. It's like, you know, if you want to create friction and heat to start a fire, you keep that continuity. You keep that connection, that contact. Um, so, so what I wanted to talk about today, and, and then we'll do a guided meditation and kind of try it out, but um, the word that came to my mind to, to, to share these the, this, this next piece of it is the word stay. You know, just like to stay, to stay here. Um, it takes almost no effort to be here, but then we leave. We come back, and then we leave. So this quality of staying in the Buddha's teaching on samadhi has two factors, two, two aspects. Um, the first one is uh, connecting. It's like touching, it's connecting. And so you could see how this happens in a meditation on the breath where you say, okay, I'm going to be with the breath and I'm going to count the breath. You're like, okay, you know, feel the inhalation. And you think, I wonder just came in or something, you know, and then, okay, there's a thought. And then you're, oh, yeah, yeah, with the breath. Connect again. You know, it's connecting. This you know, is kind of connecting, reconnecting. So much of what meditation is, is just connecting and reconnecting over and over again. So the second factor is, uh, it's called sustaining. You know, it's this quality of, 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 sometimes it's characterized as this uh, rubbing. So, you know, the mind connects to the object. So the example that's often used is polishing a bowl with a cloth. If your intention is to polish the bowl, if you take the cloth, first you, you know, put the cloth on the bowl. You, literally, you just touch, you just connect. That's this connecting to the breath or connecting to the body. And then there's this, while you're con- connected, there's this sustaining, this rubbing. Um, it's a great image because it's like, um, and you'll see this in, in the meditation, it's like, 
there's, there's a slightly different aspect of the mind that's called forth to connect to the breath versus to stay with the breath, to kind of be with it continuously, to accompany it. Um, and so we'll, we'll play with that a little bit, but just, so that, that's just a little bit of the theory. In Pali, these words are vitaka and vichara, connecting, sustaining, touching, and rubbing. Um, if you think about it, there's, there's this kind of um, common sense principle that may be helpful in this practice, which is that it's easy to stay. You know, if our goal is to stay, our goal is to connect and sustain, it's easy to stay with something that's pleasant, with something that's pleasurable, that has, you know, that feels good, that feels um, easy, easeful. Um, that's, that's just human nature. And um, so it's easiest to stay when the experience is pleasant. And the opposite is also true. Um, If you notice this, often in the meditation, same as with everyday life, what's unpleasant makes us flee. When we flee, we mean leave the present moment, go off into the future or the past. if you take a look at your meditation, just before the mind wanders, just before some really juicy fantasy or some recalling of a conversation or some, uh, some kind of thinking, just before that, there may be some unpleasantness, you know, feeling boredom, physical unpleasantness, pain or something. So we escape. You know, it's like um, nothing is pleasant forever. You know, the main principle of of Dharma, right, is everything changes. So you could have, I mean, the the best example of this is you have the most comfortable easy chair. And you're like, this is the most comfortable chair. It's fantastic. You know, I love it. It's memory foam, or I don't know what, you know, kind of that's the thing, and you go back. Okay, it's comfortable for 10 minutes, you know, 20 minutes, maybe even an hour, maybe you could fall asleep. At a certain point, (laughs) it will become uncomfortable. (laughs) You know, stay there without moving, it's going to become uncomfortable. The same thing in meditation. We sit, we bring the body into stillness, kind of upright posture, and for some of us, it may be 30 seconds. For some of us, it may be 30 minutes. But at a certain point, even if it's three hours, at a certain point, it's going to become uncomfortable. And that's often where the mind starts moving and the mind starts. You know, so one of the trainings is to kind of sit still and um, learn how to relate to discomfort. Um, For mindfulness practice, this is extremely valuable. 
And the principle is kind of this principle of, the way I think about it is non-avoidance. You know, if you think of so much of our life is, I mean, you know, according to Dharma practice, so much of our, of our mind, of our life, is made up of going after what's pleasant and getting away from what's unpleasant. You know, I mean, it's a, you know, once you realize that everything basically boils down to that, <laughs> it was a little bit, a little sad, I guess, you know, it's like whole civilizations are, you know, to get, go, get what's pleasant and to get away from what's unpleasant. I mean, you can check it out for yourself if, that's, if, that, if that resonates for you. Um, and so in mindfulness practice, this principle of rather than avoid, you know, going with that momentum to continually avoid what's unpleasant, we let ourselves stay with it and open to it and, and learn from it and be with it. And so it's like sitting still in the middle of that unpleasantness, that knee pain or that unpleasant emotion, and rather than just hanging up on the person, you know, if it's a conversation or going to the fridge or just distracting ourselves with some kind of sensual, sensory uh, delight. You know, we just sit. We sit in the middle of it and we just let it wash over us and uh, see if we can find our freedom in the middle of whatever discomfort is there. So that's the basic mindfulness practice. So concentration practice is slightly different in the sense of we're concentration, samadhi, is um, the, the, the condition, the supporting condition that brings forth samadhi, that brings forth concentration, is, well, is, what do you think it is? What did you say? It's joy. It's joy, yeah. Is joy, is happiness, you know, it's a, it's a, the, the proximate condition is is sukha, is happiness. And when I first heard that, I was really surprised because I would say, it, you know, I would have said it's effort, right? You just, you just sit down and you make effort and you, you, and you bear down and you concentrate, right? Um, but actually, it doesn't work that way at all. I mean, there's a certain kind of effort and there's a certain kind of skillful effort that needs to be applied, but it's this joy, this happiness which is what allows the mind to um, simplify, to rest, to merge into itself. Um, so so it's, a ha- it's a happy mind that can enter samadhi. Um, samadhi also generates happiness. So, it, you know, there's a certain amount of happiness and ease that's needed to deepen samadhi, which, th- which then itself generates happiness. Um, So that's just to say, in the meditation or in the concentration practice, intentionally bringing forth qualities of ease, of well-being, of happiness, of joy, this is really helpful. You know, if you find yourself getting 
tight or getting, you know, um, wound up, impatient. You know, that's a sign of any, any struggle, any tension is a sign that something's being held on to. You know, that it's not being seen. So just to, okay, you know, just ease off a little bit. And, um, so this kind of happiness is very much connected to, um, you know, so the way said, the condition for, tr- for samadhi is happiness. So the condition for happiness is what? What do you think? In, in this list, at least, the condition for happiness is calm, tranquility, relaxation. You know, this kind of ease, this relaxation. So happiness and relaxation are very, very closely connected. Um, and one of the principles of this kind of practice is that um, the mind that is not trained in, in this practice of stillness, of ease, of samadhi, actually can't really relax in a deep way. You know, if you think about the ways that we, you know, just typically try to relax, you know, it's like take a bath, get a massage, have a glass of wine, you know, watch television or something, watch a movie, you know, it's like from the outside in. We're trying to change the conditions and, you know, it it works to some degree, but... Um, the idea is there's still this activity of the mind. There's still this tension in the mind. And so it's never going to be, you know, we just, you know, we just, it's why you, it's a great business model. You have to keep going back for massages or something. You know, it's like, um, so relaxation. Um, so, in, so in the meditation, what I want to do is go through some of these things and go through relaxation and go through the ease and the joy and happiness. Um, So the trained mind can deeply relax. Relaxation is, is actually quite a profound thing. You know, it's like when we can relax, it's like the nervous system is, is sent this message that things are okay. You know, things may not be perfect, but things are okay. Um, you know, so much of a, so many of us have this kind of, um, uh, core tension or, um, and, and it's w- one of the great benefits of this practice is, is, is being able to tap into, to that in, and really, really uh, work with that core tension uh, that's there in the mind and the body. Um, I mean, so kind of like I'm alluding to, this happiness is, you know, our usual way of thinking about happiness is, is tied into external 
conditions and tied into sense pleasures. You know, so to have a great meal or a great massage or um, sex or, you know, these kind of sensual, uh, you know, wonderful. It's, it's, a, it's a human kind of condition. Um, but the happiness that's, that's associated with samadhi is, is different. Um, the Buddha calls this the happiness that is born of seclusion. It's actually a happiness that begins to get generated more and more as the mind seclu- uh, withdraws from external senses. I mean, it's a, you know, it's, it's a little hard to imagine. I mean, you can, you can kind of imagine it, but it's like, um, it's like the mind is, begins to become unified within itself. And there's a certain amount of well-being, of ease, of, um, I mean, the word in usually translated as rapture that happens when the mind starts to unify. And so, it's, so it's, it's a happiness, but it's unlike the happiness of eating a bowl of ice cream. Um, so it's born of seclusion. This idea of seclusion, of... Um, You know, the word seclusion can have a little bit of a negative connotation, but it's, I would encourage you, you know, just to kind of, you know, maybe this week or something, just to think about or play with this idea of seclusion. And how could seclusion, you know, know, just in kind of everyday life or just in, you know, how could seclusion generate happiness? Um... You know, just today I was feeling a little bit, you know, tired and a little overwhelmed. And what I did is I just went up to my room, my bedroom, and um, I just laid on the floor and closed my eyes. You know, with no idea of meditating, no idea of doing anything, anything. But it was just this practice of seclusion. It was just like coming you know, going into the cocoon. Sometimes this, the practice of samadhi is described like that. It's like you're wrapping yourself in this warm, soft, organic, <laughs> now we would say organic, <laughs> what is that? Non-GMO? Something. <laughs> Blanket. You know, it's, it's, it's like a baby blanket. It's so clean and so soft and with no offensive fragrances or <laughs> anything that, you know, I mean, it's just like, you know, this feeling of um, there's safety, there's, um, you know, I think you get the idea. But this is like starting the quality of seclusion quality of uh, collected, collectedness, 
which itself is very closely related to this simplifying, simplification. So we talked about last week that the practice I suggested was um, as a kind of entry, entryway into concentration of samadhi, this practice of counting the breath. There's nothing magical about counting the breath. There are different ways to do it. You could use words, you could note. Um, but there's something about counting, you know, we know how to count. We don't have to think about it. Um, but it's like, it simplifies the breath to an abstraction. It's like each exhalation, one. Just a whisper in the mind, you know, two, three. You know, and we do to you know, to eight, to ten, usually you say to ten, but you can, you can do to anything. When you get to ten, you start again at one. So that it's another marker. If you get to twenty, you know, oh, I lost count. Go back to one. If you get to three and you lose, it's okay, great. You just go back to one. You just return to one. So it's a simplifying. It's just letting go of everything else. You know, when I was learning this practice from a Japanese Zen teacher, he said, and he offered a few different practices. You could do just sitting, you could do counting the breath, or you could do a kind of mu, if those of you who you know, know the Zen style. And so I was into counting the breath, which I still do sometimes, which I really enjoy. And he said, okay. He said, that's okay, but the whole universe is one. So, you know and the whole universe is that there's nothing else and it so this simplifying this just um, letting go of everything letting go your whole world the whole universe just comes down to this um So you can, you can imagine there's a peacefulness that comes about just through this simplification. Um, so we talked about happiness, relaxation, seclusion, Simplification. Um, connecting and sustaining. You know, over and over. Connecting and sustaining. Polishing the bowl. Um, does anyone have any questions about this before we go into the guided meditation? Um, you mentioned that there's a sort of hindrance to having too much samadhi, like and this would be a cooperation between mindfulness and and both. So I was curious if you can give an example as to like how having too much samadhi it can you know become a, an obstacle. 
Thank you. Did everyone hear the question? How can too much samadhi become an obstacle? It's a great question. If you just have samadhi without mindfulness, you fall asleep. <laughs> and in fact, it's a really great way. You know, people who have good samadhi are never, I mean, I won't say never, but I'll just talk about myself or the people I know have no problem falling asleep. <laughs> My Zen teacher, he could sleep, I mean, he's also 85, but he can sleep anywhere. <laughs> but there's this, you know, samadhi without the activating spark of mindfulness is the calming factor. So you just get calmer and calmer and calmer and calmer. And if you, you know, um, so that's why it needs to be partnered with mindfulness, which is the alertness, the wakefulness. And so in, in the sitting, the way we work with these is it's, it's your effort. It's how you're, you know, it's like, I think about it like fine-tuning an instrument. You know, I mean, I don't play an instrument, but, you know, besides the recorder, which I used to play in school, but, which you don't really have to tune. But, <laughs> but you know, this idea of not too tight, not too loose. And it's, it's dynamic. It's not like you set it and forget it. It's like we're constantly, you know, if you're falling asleep, if there's too much samadhi, too much calm, it's like this sinking quality to the mind. Um, if, there's, if there's not enough samadhi, if there's not enough calm, if there's too much energy, it's like uh, agitation, rest, restlessness. I mean, so you know, to, to balance those is ideal. Any other questions? Thank you. Josh. Uh, I was also thinking about solitude. I wonder if there's kind of a, a balance in solitude too because um kind of seems to be coming from a position of, of kind of living in our society where we don't have much solitude. But if if you kind of are alone a lot, at least I've kind of found myself that you start to develop ego problems, right? <laughs> like, you know, when you go out and, you know, it's kind of one of the surest ways of, of um, you know, kind of thinking you're the best at something is that you don't have others to compare to, you know? <laughs> so when you go out into the world, you kind of find that, you, you know, that, that this isn't so. So I guess, I guess I imagine there's also kind of a balance in solitude and that maybe too much of it can be bad, a bad thing in that way. I don't know. <laughs> great. Yeah, did everybody hear that? It's a, it's a great point. And, you know, this is like the, uh, it's said that the, you know, so, so Buddhist monks, for example, uh, can't, at least in, the, in, the, in this tradition, the Theravada tradition, they can't, one of, one of their, uh, as part of the rules, the vows that they take on, promises of, of how they live, is they can't keep food overnight. I mean, they can't have money and they can't have food overnight. So what this means is that their solitude or their seclusion is by definition limited. Every day they need to be practicing in a way 
that someone who's not a monk, you know, is willing to feed them, basically. You know, so going off into a 10-year retreat into a cave is going to be pretty difficult without, you know, some kind of support or some kind of, you know. So, um, so there are dangers in seclusion as well. For this purpose, it's, it's, it's considered very skillful as a training, you know, and it's like everything. There's a rhythm, you know, of, of um, you know, one of my teachers used to say, we go into retreat in order to come out of retreat. You know, so we go, we seclude ourselves and go inside and, and, um, learn how the mind works and, 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 and calm the mind and still the mind and see what's really there. And then the idea is we find it everywhere and we share it and we, you know, it's not like something we just keep for ourselves. And so, thank you. So should we, should we try this out? Take this baby for a test ride? At the beginning of a sitting, it's um, considered a very, very uh, special, special moment, you know, before you start to meditate. it's a time that you can um, you it's almost like you putting a little paper crane into a a still pond you just like give it a little you know you set its direction where do you want it to go just like a really subtle little nudge and so some people at the beginning of a sitting they think you know um, to dedicate to dedicate it to something, to someone, to some idea. If there's something that you've read in the news, for example, you know, it's so easy to feel, um, you know, a little bit sad or a lot sad or powerless or something. You know, so many terrible things happening in the news or in the world or even in our neighborhood. One of our, um, one thing that's on my mind is one of our uh, kind of, I would say, sister communities, which is the Berkeley Zen Center. A member of the Berkeley Zen Center was, was attacked out, you know, just kind of in front of the Zen Center. And, it, uh, you know, I think it was an attempted uh, carjacking or something. And um, she's an elderly woman and um, she seems to be stable, but she's in the hospital and it's been quite unsettling for the community there. And it's been on my mind you think, you know, what can I do? What can I, you know, something, something happens. And so, so one thing is, you know, there's a way of like, you can, before sitting, is you just, you know, whatever goodness, whatever benefit that will come from this 10 minutes or this 15 minutes of meditation, you know, I dedicate it to Nancy or I dedicate it to this person or this idea or this, you know, and it's just a kind of heart opening thing. And it's just, 
And it's a very sweet, you know, and it's, um, I don't do it enough. I, I, I should do it more, my own sitting. And but when I do it, I, I just love it. And I love, it just changes. You know, there's something that changes the feeling. So there's that at the beginning of a sitting, just, you know, you can make some kind of dedication or some kind of uh, sharing the goodness. Um, so we just take a moment to do that, if, you know, in whatever way you want to do. The second helpful thing to do at the beginning of a sitting is to kind of set the intention for what you're going to be doing. Um, Just as if when you get into a car and you're going to drive, it helps to know where you're going, to know why you're going there, to know where you're going, how you're going to get there. You know, you kind of have a plan. Um, With any activity, you know, what, what am I doing? What, what's my intention? In the same way with meditation. We sit down. Okay, dedicate the merit. Share, share the goodness. It's like the dedication at the beginning of a book. Um, and then it's like setting the intention. What am I doing? Right now we can say our intention is to... Um, you know, you could say whatever words inspire you about to simplify, to calm the mind, to quiet the mind. You know, my intention is to give myself over to samadhi, this collecting the mind. The intention is to just let go of everything else and let the mind come together right here. We've set our intention and just closing the eyes. bringing some awareness into the posture. This is kind of the third, the third thing in our meditation checklist is finding a posture that embodies just what we talked about, this sense of ease and relaxation But at the same time, some alertness, some wakefulness. You know, we're not just soothing ourselves and falling asleep. We're balancing. So finding a posture that embodies balance. Not too tight, not too loose. 
centered. Whatever that means for your body, just to be centered. You might notice that experienced meditators take a long time to settle into the meditation posture. It's really calibrating. Finding a posture that is conducive to stillness will help the mind to find stillness and rest. So this upright, relaxed posture. And now just relaxing around this structure. Letting the shoulders fall. Letting the arms hang from the shoulders. Taking a few deep breaths. Just relaxing on the exhale. Connecting to as much ease as is available. Any muscle tension can soften, fall away with the breath. As you exhale, seeing if you can relax the thinking muscle. Letting the thoughts float away. Just sitting here, nothing to do. Having a sense of the whole body, kind of global awareness of the body. Sitting and knowing you're sitting.
softening the face, the muscles around the face, softening the belly. Within this sense of the body, letting the breathing come into awareness. Simply receiving the sensations of the breath wherever you notice them. Becoming sensitive to those sensations, receptive, just a simple connection. each exhalation, letting go, relaxing. Softening the belly. As you stay with the sensations of the breath, seeing if you can find some way of enjoying those sensations just a little bit more. be a place in the body where the breath feels especially easeful, or it may mean to slow the breath just a little bit or deepen it a little bit, if that would be more enjoyable. It's like a little micro adjustments to the breath. Really subtle.
Sometimes the breath can almost be like a inner massage. Letting the rhythm of the breath just soothe you. Massaging internal organs. It can be helpful to simplify the breath to one place. It may be the feeling of the air at the nostrils, the rising and falling of the belly, the chest. If it feels helpful, letting the mind count the breath. Each exhalation, just a whisper. One. Two. You lose track of the counting. No problem at all, just returning to one. Reconnecting. As you connect to the sensations of the breathing, What would it be like to sustain that connection? Letting the mind stay here. 
stay with the sensations continuously. Just as you polish a bowl with a cloth, letting the mind polish the breath. Placing the mind on the breath and then rubbing the breath, polishing the breath. At the same time, the breath is polishing the mind. Let the mind be polished by the breath. Let the mind be calmed by the breath. Let the mind be brightened by the breath. Be fully present for your experience is a wonderful gift to give yourself. To accompany yourself. Beyond words, beyond ideas.
relaxed as you are. Moment to moment to moment. just about done tonight, but if anyone has any comment or question or something to share, you know what the music means. (laughs) There used to be a show called, uh, I don't know if anyone remembers, Dr. Katz. It's like a cartoon. He was a therapist and he had a little music that played when the session was over. Anyway. <laughs> um, I hope this, I mean, this was a little kind of speed, speed samadhi through, but I hope it just gave you a little taste of the way you can guide yourself. You know, just like with anything, with any skill, we need to really be our own teachers. You know, so, you know, every time I sit down, I give myself meditation instruction. You know, <laughs> it doesn't, you know, okay, sit down, relax, follow the, you know. So you can guide yourself and you can give yourself the instruction. And it's an, it's an incredible gift to, for the mind to become an ally. Rather than, rather than being a source of suffering, the promise of samadhi is that your own mind becomes a refuge. And, um, you know, and that's a gift for yourself and a gift for the world. So, um, next week, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the obstacles and difficulties that can uh, make concentration difficult and how to work with those and uh, remove those. So, (laughs) thank you very much. Good evening.